So, church, I just, I feel so much joy and gratitude being here with you. Well, listen, you might not know this about me, uh, but I don't like to exercise. Now, I do like the benefits, the energy and the strength, or miraculously at my age, the, the slowing down of muscle degeneration, but I don't enjoy the pain, the sweating, the shortness of breath. And I, I have no idea what people are talking about with this endorphin rush, what, like this runner's high. I, I've never gotten that ever. Now, now, maybe it's because I don't go far enough or run fast enough, but every step is a slog for me. But it's still worth the discomfort. The, the reward of feeling better, that sense of accomplishment, it gets me out of bed and it pushes me through the suffering. So even on vacation, even if it's only once a week, I'm still going to go for my run. And this summer we were in North Carolina and I got up early, right around dawn, the sun's coming up, and it's, it's hot in North Carolina, so it's like almost 80 degrees when I start off, and um, the, the road was a little bit hilly, but it was, the problem is it was slanted almost the whole way, so I'm, <clears throat> I'm just struggling, I'm sweating, but here's the difference between running there and then when I run at home. It's the reward at the end, because we rent a lake house. So the whole time I'm jogging, all I keep thinking about, all that keeps me going is, I, I can't wait to hit that water. Now, the problem with this particular run was I, I wasn't as familiar with the streets. So when I thought I was at the end, and I, I always try to sprint through the end, so I do, I, and I have these little things I, I never, ever, ever have walked yet. So I, I sprint Actually, there was one time, but uh, so I sprint, I sprint, I was dehydrated. I sprint through the end and I come around the tor- turn and the house is still like a quarter mile away. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, thought, I thought I was there. So I just, I just barely keep going. But when I got there, it just was all I could do as I'm getting my shoes off, my sweaty socks. And I hit that dock and just launch into the air. And when you hit that cool water, it, it's glory. I mean, it, and it's not just that it's, it's, it's making every pore in my overheated skin feel great. It's that I'm not striving. I'm just cruising. I mean, like for 30 feet, I'm just underwater. And you just come up and it's, it's, it's bliss. In our text this morning, Romans 8, The Apostle Paul takes up up the subject of our groaning, our suffering in this world, and the pain of this marathon called life that we are running as believers. And here's the hope the Apostle holds out, and you'll hear it in the opening lines of our text. All the hardships, all the anguish, the obstacles that we must endure are worth it because our groaning will one day give way to an incomparable glory, an eternal satisfaction and quenching, a rest unlike any other. Oh, church, let your heart be fortified and motivated to keep going by Romans chapter 8, verse 18. 
as, as your reward when you finish, cross the finish line, is infinitely greater than all discomfort and anguish that it takes to get there. This is Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Would you join me in prayer over God's holy word? Lord, we need patience. We need endurance. According to this text, we need perspective. And we need to know why. Lord, I pray that despite my feeble efforts, the power of the truths of these verses, that there is a surpassing glory that is waiting for us. I I pray that the adoption of sons, the inheritance of eternal life with you will cut through the pain and the hurt and even cut through questions that some may be asking, why do I keep going? Why should I even bother? Please, Lord, let Grace Church consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Help them groan well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The context that proceeds and sets up our passage is the groaning and suffering we face in respect to our war with indwelling sin. Verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And the way we put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit is through hearing the Spirit's voice. Listening to Him remind us of God's promises. That's how you defeat sin. It's when God, the the third person of the Trinity, whispers to you that He is your Abba Father. 
your loving, adopting, intimate dad. That's what verse 17 says. That's how we are sanctified. And it's astonishing. I I wish I had time to preach it. Listen, I'm going to say it again. This is what Scripture actually teaches, that our battle strategy for holiness is our relationship with God. It, It comes out of the security, the affection, the closeness that we have with Him now. Personally, being reminded of that is how sin and darkness is crushed in our lives. And the way we recall his heart for us is through his word. This is the sword of the spirit that battles our doubts and guilt and fear, the accusations that would whisper, oh, no, no, God, God is against you. He's only tolerating you because he has to. Your sins disqualify you from his grace and promises. When you read this book, the Spirit says to the believer, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is your Abba Father. See, this is where we get hope. This is where needed assurance comes from, which means there's no greater weapon in the war against the flesh and the devil than daily looking to your Bible and the gospel promises it reminds us of. Friends, you you can't run this race without it. You'll, You'll never make it to the end. The obstacles and opposite are just too daunting, so much so that in our text, Paul's going to go on to detail another enemy, not just indwelling sin and iniquity and the devil. He's going to show us another enemy that seeks to derail our faith. And it's our circumstances. It's just the brokenness of this world. Fraught with so much sickness. We prayed for individuals earlier. So, so much disappointment and loss. And that can cause us to question God's love for us. The apostle calls it groaning, suffering. This is the seemingly endless hurts and hardships that stumble us and weigh us down. But it is actually that very groaning that will one day become glory. And that gives us hope, church. That enables us to persevere. So those two realities really are the themes of this whole paragraph. Groaning and glory. That's it. Groaning and glory. And they're going to make up our two points. So number one is the groaning and glory of God's creation. That's verses 18 through 22. And then number two is The groaning and glory of God's children, verses 23 through 25. Now, there's overlap in both of these sections, but differences as well. And I'll try to draw all those out, especially under our second header. But let's begin with the first. The groaning and glory of God's creation. You got it? You with me? Everybody awake. They have coffee here. This is a great idea. And sugar, if that's that's your drug of choice. Look at verse 18 again. For I consider 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, this sentence controls the entire passage. It previews what it's about, and it also gives the purpose, which I'll accent in conclusion. But you really have to back up to what's come before in Romans to make sense of what these sufferings, these groanings Paul is referring to are. And the same is true as what he means by glory. Now, as I mentioned, the primary sufferings in the previous chapter had to do with the bondage of the flesh. Our perpetual struggle against sin and its its constant harassment that makes us, remember, do what we do not want to do, but the very thing we hate, we keep on doing. See, the, the members of our body are constantly being torn between allegiance and service to the righteousness of Christ and succumbing to our former taskmaster with his lies and enticements and idol- to idolatry and immorality. That's the suffering, the main suffering of this present time. It's our struggle between conversion and consummation. We are becoming who we are and who we will be, but it is with great growing pains. And what are massive travails. But in comparison to our groaning and longings is a future glory that far outweighs all grief and hardship. And the apostle specifies that in what immediately proceeds in verse 15. Look there in your Bibles. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That's the glory. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness. Remember I said he whispers. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's glory. And, and if children, then heirs. Talk about glory. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That is what awaits us. The fullness of being adopted as God's very children into his heavenly household, which includes inheriting all that is the Father's and sharing it with God the Son somehow as co-equals, which is what the phrase fellow heirs implies. And if you are really paying attention to what I just said, you, you would realize that is the most stupefying statement possible. And I'll elaborate more on it later. But, but try to let this register. The glory to come is that we get everything. Everything. The world. And God himself. But notice at the end of the verse, 17, the contingency. We will only be heirs. Look at, look at your Bibles. Provided we suffer with him. We suffer with him. Here's the rest of it. In order that we may be glorified with him. Gro- groaning goes with glory. 
You, you can't circumvent groaning. You have to go through the groaning to get to glory. But listen, the glory is so surreal. It's so beyond all bliss. It enables you to endure the most torturous groanings this world can inflict. That, that is the goal of this text. It is to help us contrast what we are suffering by way of persecution and illness and every trouble with the coming absolute eternal elation that is ours in and with Christ. That's why Paul opens with this contrast. I consider, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. I consider means Paul thinks about it. He, he evaluates his sufferings, what he later calls groanings. He places all those challenges, all the stresses and ailments, all the times he's been betrayed by friends and whipped unconscious and starved, and even all his sin and guilt, the, the regrets and the things he continues to wrestle with. He places all those things, all the things he longs to be healed of, to be made whole, to be how they're supposed to be, all the things that makes him groan. And when he puts them next to the glory of God that has been prepared for him in heaven, actually seeing the Lord face to face, drawing near and experiencing his holy presence in unending love and pleasure. When he considers those this is no comparison. They're not even in the same category. In fact, the glory to be revealed on the last day is so much better than the groaning is bad that the apostles' response is essentially, what suffering? Our earthly pain isn't even worth paying any mind. It's so inferior. To the consuming, wonderful, magnificence, the happiness, the transcendent inheritance that will be his and is right around the corner. So, sorry. I get worked up about these things. Deep breath. Slow down. They're not you, Bob. Okay. That's just the opening question. That's, that's what begins this passage. And we have to stay there for a second. Ask yourself, do I consider my present and past groaning as more worthy of my thoughts than future glory? Come on, go there with me now. Which concerns me more? Which, which is heavier to me? Which affects me the most? The, the trials in my life that I'm constantly wishing would resolve? Or is the splendor of heaven so spellbinding, so rapturous, that it just eclipses all these struggles? Here's how you can tell. Which do you talk about more? Or should we just confess right now? Which do we complain about more? 
You know, it's good to complain about not being in heaven. You are free. I mean, groan, moan, that's legal, biblically. I consider, Paul says, that's how we want to assess our lives, our groaning. I consider, I, I judge, I conclude this, that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be real. That, that's, that's where this text wants us to land. And, and verse 19 is going to fill out why and the beginning of the how under this category of God's creation. So look with me there. For groaning and glory are not on equal footing. For, purpose clause, the creation waits with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. Okay, we, we need to pause here because this is an unanticipated connection. Now, as we'll see when we get to the groaning and glory of God's children, believers are the ones who long to realize their adoption as sons. We are God's children now, as 1 John 3, 2 assures us, but not as completely as we will be when Christ appears and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But did you, did you catch here that we're not the only ones longing for adoption, our adoption to be finalized? The creation is. The sky, the plants, the animal kingdom, the mountains are yearning for us to be adopted. Look, I'm not making this up. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you. For you to become what God made you to be, which is his son and daughter in heaven forever. They're waiting for that. And the, the word translated there, eagerly long, it's a very strong word. It means to wait with head raised and eyes fixed on that point of the horizon from which is expected, from which the expected object is to come. Another lexicon defines it as standing on tiptoes in anticipation. On that same vacation that I mentioned uh, in the opening illustration, we decided one evening to take a boat ride on the lake um, to go get some ice cream. And as we were heading out, the sun set and uh, the, the motor started to sputter. Now, in my defense, gas gauges on watercraft are not always easy to read. The, the floats go up and down. And I know it's happened another couple of times before, but I, I was really thinking we were going to make it to the gas station. So here we are floating in the middle of the lake. The sun is going down, and uh, you know, you're, you're really helpless at that point. I mean, I'm like paddling to the side. So uh, I, I waved down this pontoon boat, and I could not have found a better guy on the lake. Uh, his, name, his name is Ken, and Ken said, yep, uh, listen, my cove's six miles away. We'll speed off. I'll bring my jet ski. I'll get it back here as quick as possible. And so we're like, oh, gosh, thank you. Are you an angel? Um, so anyway, the guy shoots off. But then we're just there, and it's getting dark, and every sound of a motor, is it, is it, no, uh, no, they're going into that cover. Uh, I think that's another, no, that's just a bird. Um, so we're just, we're eagerly waiting. We, we are longing for Petra. I, we, we can't wait for this. 
um, we're hungry, the ice cream place closed, we're getting cold. Like, we really, really want, and sure enough, we hear this guy come, this guy's awesome. He had five gallons, of, he had a funnel. Who brings a funnel on a jet? And he's helping me pour this in, and I didn't have any cash. He's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. It was, it was a kind, I, I seriously still think it was an angel. But that's what eagerly longing in verse 19 means. You're scanning. It's the, it's the only thing you're thinking about. You, you, all your marbles are there. You, you are completely depending for this, whatever it is, to come through. But remember, it's not us that's yearning and watching. It's the creation that is impatient, that's anxious, that's that's eager for the fullness of our redemption to be realized. And that's because, look at verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. It broke. Not, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free, would be liberated from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Did you notice the creation there was punished, subjected to, really sentenced to futility, to its current fallen state because of our rebellion and God's necessary response to that sin. But just as Adam's decision resulted in a return to chaos and and unprecedented violence and upheaval, groaning really throughout the entire universe, so too will humanity's salvation return the world to peace and harmony and the glory it was meant for. Isn't that amazing? That means the second law of thermodynamics, you know, that, that all matter tends towards entropy, that is, disorder or decay. Now, by the way, where I grew up, we weren't that sophisticated. We just called it Murphy's Law. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. But nevertheless, the point is, that's not a natural phenomenon. According to this text, that's a spiritual one, a theological one. The earth in all its beauty and bounty is in conflict. It's corrupted. It's convulsing. It's under divine judgment. I actually have a picture to show you, if you can see it. Do you you know what that is? You can't really see it too well. That is a copperhead snake, a baby, which are way more dangerous than adults because they don't control their venom. They tend to just inject at first bite. And the bigger question, it's actually not that I'm holding it. The bigger question is, where did, that is a legitimate question, but not where I grew up from. Um, That's just normal. But the bigger question is, where did I find it? It was in my basement. (laughs) I can't tell you the feeling when I walk into my storage room and there's a snake. So there's just a little bit, you know, I have kids, so I'm like, is that rubber? No. Um, and then I go to pick it up because I grew up just handling snakes in the woods and very, just think rednecky. And I stop and I think, that is not a garter snake. I, I, I recognize the markings. I mean, that, that thing has fangs with like 
bad stuff in him. And so I didn't pick it up by the tail like I normally would. I, I got a stick and I pinned him down. And I'm, I'm just walking around there. It's a poisonous snake in my house. How do you make this stuff up? Uh, needless to say, having such an intruder wasn't very comforting for my wife. So she comes down, try to picture, I wish I had a picture of this. She has her bathrobe on. Uh, she puts her cowboy boots on and she brings a broom downstairs. And so she is supervising me looking in, ev- there are crevices in my house I didn't know existed before, looking in every, I mean, I was climbing through the duck hole. You know, Bob, just go right through all the air conditioning. Every single inch of my house was inspected to see if there was any other relatives of his around. Um, we, we don't know what happened. I think one of the kids left the door open, but another theory, too, is, um, by the way, no more snake sightings since this one. Um, uh, is there's been so much rain, we think it, it, it's, it's been driving a lot of the, the wildlife to higher ground. Our house sits on a little bit of a hill, and it's been crazy. Actually, one time, I, this is just a couple months ago, I opened the, you guys get a lot of rain here too, right? I mean, it's been amazing in Virginia. My lawn was green, and I opened the windowsill, and there are one billion ants on the windowsill. And they weren't coming in the house. They weren't getting. They just. They just needed something dry. <laughs> we had. We had. We had a recurring. We have mice in the house again. And please, don't talk to me about my extermination saga with those little devils. But listen, the, the, I'm like, what? What is going? Should, should I start a zoo? I mean, we got the reptile house going. We got the mammal house going. I could do an ant farm. And look, I, feel, I feel like. I feel like Noah's Ark is everything like flooding to me. Listen, since Genesis 3, nature has been against us. And not just wildlife. Think of germs. How about that for an enemy? Viruses. I mean, they keep the good doctor in business here, but still. And, and, And creation doesn't just harm us. It harms itself. It destroys itself. Think about volcanic eruptions, hurricanes, lightning strikes, droughts, forest fires, meteor showers, avalanches, just just the sheer violence of the food chain. Watch how a cat takes down its prey or spiders ensnare their victims. All of that and more is the creation groaning, and it's groaning under the weight and pain of God cursing it. The cosmos are fallen, and when the earth brings us suffering and does the same to itself, it's a reminder that all sin brings discord, death. Indeed, it is the precursor to damnation. Listen, you you and I are supposed to battle all these elements, all the maladies, all the discomfort in life, all the disorder. Try to fix it. Put it back together. Make it as best you can how it should be. You should do that as stewards. But you must know, you and I are not going to win. We we need to be delivered. And all suffering is a reminder of that. But listen, the, the ruin, the brutality, the perishing of this world is not the end. Did you see in verse 21? God didn't just condemn our first parents and the planet he subjected it. He humbled it. Look, look again at the Bible. In hope. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. It was subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the children of God. And look, look at 22. For we know that the whole creation has been, here's our word, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There is hope for freedom. Hope because the promised seed of the woman was, would one day come, like we just sang about, and would conquer the devil and death and thorns and sweat and labor pain. Groaning will give way to glory. I mean, did you see how that was highlighted with that metaphor in verse 22? We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Until now. Now, you really probably shouldn't talk about childbirth if you're a man, but I lack discretion sometimes, so let me try. The the anguish of bringing a baby into the world, some here know more than others. Um, Even the word labor seems like an understatement, doesn't it? I mean, I, (laughs) I have a very tough wife. And I have seen her having contractions, and I know I could not handle that, nor would I want to. I mean, I, I, would, I would choose to take a piece of shrapnel taking off my arm 100 times out of 10 times than have something like a cantaloupe squeeze through any part of me. Okay, I know that's too graphic, but it's not, it's not my fault. The Bible is using this illustration. That's the picture here. The, and you know the picture, it's agony is followed by comfort. The, the, the mother's torture in bringing this infant into the world is not purposeless. It has an end. It's resulting in a good that infinitely exceeds her affliction. Now, I'm not saying Lori will ever forget what it felt like, but when she held our son and our daughter... For the first time, what Jesus said in John 16 came true. Her joy eclipsed her sorrow. Right, moms? Did I get that part right? It is Bible. So so that's the groaning and the glory of God's creation. The, The earth is waiting. The earth is pushing, enduring eagerly long for groaning to be supplanted by glory. And even more so, she'll see next, we as God's children exemplify that. And we'll look at that now under point two, the groaning and glory of God's children. Look at verse 23 with me. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, you and me, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You know that the creation rejoices, the Bible says. Trees worship God in their own way. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God so they can speak with their unique voice. And here we learn that the world actually grieves. It groans in sadness. But you know, it can't do any of those things like we can. Theirs is just a shadow of experience and emotions and expression that is ours as image bearers of God. And verse 23 explains why. We groan as those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That means our pain comes from having tasted the inheritance and adoption and desiring it more, but in this life having to just settle for a deposit. See, the the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is God's very real presence, but it is only His partial presence with us. He gives up He gives us glimpses, doesn't he, of the love of the Father? When we sing, don't you have moments where you just get lost in grace, even if just for a second? When peace that passes understanding that is unexplainable in the midst of trials and even death, when we experience that, it doesn't last. It's often just a preview, a sample of that security that will be ours completely forever one day. Do you see? Cuttlefish don't do that. Neither do cacti. And I'm not sure if that is plural for cactus. It just sounds smart. But they don't relate to God that way. They obey and they exalt the Lord out of instinct. But we do so out of affection. Out of personal interaction. Out of conversations as a father to a child that, that change us and, and grow us and make us yearn for more of that, for this perfection. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait even more eagerly than the creation for our adoption as sons. Do, do you feel that? That inward groaning, that waiting eagerly. Listen, doesn't doesn't everything in your life, from the moment you hit the alarm clock and force your creaking joints out of bed, sorry, I'm I'm middle-aged, so not everyone experienced that, but those that do are nodding their heads right now. We, We stumble toward the kitchen to run some caffeine through us, And that, that suffering is minor, but it's all the way to the end of the day. You, you, you collapse on the same stretcher, exhausted. You're fretting over everything you didn't get done. You're reviewing all that went wrong. And the litany of problems that are going to be waiting for you just a few sleepless hours from now when you have to do it all over again. I mean, don't, don't those bookends that mark every rotation of the earth Don't they make you want to cry out, come 
Lord Jesus. Listen to creation groan. And, and, and we're the choir leads there. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and take your people home. Fix all this brokenness that's ever hassling me. Please make things right. And supremely set me free from the bondage of my sin, from my self-absorption and fears and perversity and unbelief and comparison to others. Set me free from this body of death. Not just the physical elements, but this arena where all this conflict and compromise takes place. I, I yearn to no longer misunderstand and mistreat the woman I'm supposed supposed to and want to actually love more than anyone. What a day when car inspections, routine car inspections, don't turn into $750. I am longing for that day. Or when we get to the end of the month and my poor dear kids don't hear dad saying, we're out of money again, no more food, stop spending. And when I don't have to, I really long for this day, when I don't have to officiate at the funeral of my 66-year-old aunt, which I did this year. Listen, all those birth pangs, that's what they are, minor ones and major ones, moral ones and just arbitrary ones, they're giving life to something greater. They serve a purpose. That's why verse 25 says, for in this hope we were saved. That is the hope of our bodies being redeemed. The hope of our full and final adoption. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Listen, Hope, hope is not in what we have, but for what we want, what we desire. It, it's the stuff, you know this, it's the stuff of anticipation, longing. You, you, you cannot hope for what you already possess. That's all Paul's saying here. And the things that we do desire, that we can see, here's what he's saying, those things are so inferior to what's invisible, to what's spiritual, to what's not temporal, but eternal. Listen, he, here's what our hope in the world is meant to do. It's meant to dissatisfy us, to disappoint us. We are supposed supposed to be hurting down here. And I promise you're just not going to hear that in many sermons. You're supposed to be suffering, groaning. We, we, we should feel incomplete, discontent, even lonely, because the goal is not to avoid groaning down here, to eradicate it from our lives. No, the goal is to use it, to contrast our pain and suffering in a way that highlights 
the superior glory that is to come. Oh, don't believe the lie that you can or supposed to achieve a groaning-free life down here. That's not what to hope in. No, your pain is meant to cause you to strive, not harder to alleviate that. Rather, it's to prove that there is a greater God-centered glory that we are to channel all of our yearnings towards. That's why Paul says our hope leads to patience. Now, you might think it would be the other way around, but let me, let me help you with it. Because the, the more we realize, here, here's what he's, th- this is the logic. The more we realize that we will one day be adopted as sons and daughters of God, that we will actually belong to him and look in his splendor and call him father to his face. The more we consider that, the more our assessment of groaning will be. It's, it's nothing. It's so small and paltry in comparison. What Paul calls elsewhere light and momentary. So it's, it's so great. Anything is worth waiting, getting through to have that. That, that, That's why we're patient, because nothing else here compares. Nothing else could possibly satisfy us. Listen, here's here's the concluding question and application. Do you want your suffering to be, as Paul says, light? Do you want your groaning to no longer overwhelm you, to stop consuming you? There's only one way. Beholding the weightiness of your eternal heavenly glory. It's not that these things aren't heavy. They're just light in comparison. They're, They're real problems. We grieve for one another. We carry each other's sorrow, but we point each other to an inheritance, to a joy that really makes these nothing. It's it's that great. We will be in the presence of God himself. You very soon, Christian, whatever you're going through, oh, this is the most sustaining thought. You're going home to be with dad. And the more you long for that, the, the lighter this gets. That's where Paul is moving this entire chapter. The love that will be ours on that day is loftier, is more permanent and fulfilling than tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The objective, unchanging love of Christ Jesus our Lord in dying for our sins on that cursed tree. That is the hope. 
the unseen hope in which we are saved that one day soon will be fully realized and why it's worth enduring anything to have. All the groanings in this world cannot separate us from the love of the gospel and in fact only remind us of how sweet it will be when it's finally consummated. That is why we wait for it patiently, church. Because there's nothing better. There's nothing greater than our adoption as son, sons, the redemption of our bodies. Friends, long for that above all else. Look for that on tiptoes and allow that to put into perspective, to diminish the hold that groaning now has on you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Let's pray. Show us that glory, Lord, in your Son. Oh, it's just... It's undoing to think that he would take on our groaning, that he would enter this world as a baby to suffer like us. And not only, Lord, to vicariously own all the pain and sickness and brokenness and conflict and wars, but that he would lift that and carry that on his very shoulders to the cross where atonement was made, where wrath that, that righted all those wrongs was poured out. It is stunning to us, Lord. How could we have a groaning God, a man, a man of sorrows for a Savior? And what a Savior you are. Take us home, Lord. Take us home where we are free from all the things that keep us from realizing that and living in the good of that, persevering and, and having that vision fill our gaze so that we really, like our brother, like the apostle, we really do count all things as joy. That, that re that's attainable for us, Lord. That's not just for a few elite Christians. If we will appropriate what you have done, and what is coming for us. Oh, Lord, our longings for this earth will fade, and we will, we will taste you, Holy Spirit. We, this, this down payment will become, we, we, we'll, we'll start to pay down the interest on that, and we'll start to experience capital, and we'll get closer and closer to home, and it will be easier and easier to suffer, and you will be glorified, and then you'll just close that gap. And take us to your bosom, and we long for that day. May it come, and may this precious church live with that ever-controlling reality. Their adoption, their adoption is coming. They will see you, Father, and call you Abba, and be with you fully forever in your embrace. Let us have that now.